welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. For the honor of Grayskull! <laughs> we're, uh, we're revisiting She-Ra. We're doing a deep dive on some of the, the tropes that we find most interesting now that the show is all done and, and over with. It's over! So sad. Uh, I'm your host, David, and I'm here with my co-host, Hannah. Hi, guys. I'm sad about She-Ra being over, but I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, um, I think we're going to focus mainly on uh, on, on the, the heel-face-turn aspect of the finale, so there's going to be spoilers abound. Yes. Um, <laughs> don't going listen to, be to lots this. Of spoilers. Unless you... <laughs> Either For don't give, all the care about spoilers. Arcs. Yeah, it's 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 redemption arc city. Oh, the redemption. <laughs> uh, basically, every type of redemption sub arc. Yeah. Uh, within that trope, is I think, depicted here. Yeah, and I I think that's honestly pretty impressive because a lot of shows I think tend to stick to one or maybe two kinds of redemption arcs, and Shira is really just like all over the place, like really getting <laughs> right. into everything. Yeah, and I, I feel like they don't always feel the need to justify it necessarily. They're just like, just accept the redemption, all right? <laughs> just, just take it. Um, but uh, before that, why don't we give a little background on the show itself? Um, the show was uh, created for Netflix uh, through DreamWorks by uh, Noel Stevenson, um, who was a very popular uh, comic book writer. I think she worked on Lumberjanes or am I making yep, that Yep, nope, she did Lumberjanes. She also uh did Nimona. Um she was the author, illustrator, creator for that. Um so, you know, she's right. very beloved in the comics world. Um and yeah, was able to uh And, and obviously she didn't come up with this idea out of whole no. cloth. Um it's a it's a reboot of the 80s cartoon She-Ra Princess of Power. Which yeah. then became She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, sort of focusing more on the friendship and the, you know, the many characters aspect. Which is good because these characters are now a lot more fleshed out than they were yeah. in the 80s cartoon. Yeah. Which um, honestly... And obviously that cartoon also was not super original either. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's the girl spinoff of He-Man. Uh, He-Man was a toy-first property. Uh, the toy yeah. idea was from a guy named Roger Sweet, um, and he was obsessed with, like, bodybuilders. <laughs> and in interviews, you can hear him talking about, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, he was a pipsqueak compared to He-Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> And he basically was, like, taking old models and just adding insane, inhuman proportions of muscles to him to make him more like, you know, Conan the Barbarian. Uh, and then just saying, kids will love it, because kids love power. And if we just say the word power over and over again, uh, kids will be like, this is empowering for me. I mean, they weren't wrong. <laughs> They were not, uh, but empowerment is also something that girls like, I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is not male um, exclusive. So, not at all. Um, so, I mean, it turned out that 20% of the sales for a toy called He-Man were coming from young girls, which is somewhat, su somewhat surprising, at least I was surprised yeah. <laughs> to learn that. 
Um, and I'm sure that they were too. So they brought in a bunch of people who had worked on, you know, Barbie and other magical princess toys, uh, and said, why don't you come up with something in the He-Man universe that's more directly targeted at girls? And they did. And that was She-Ra. She-Ra. And a, a cartoon had to accompany it. So there we are. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. Um, but there was one factoid that I thought was interesting that I do want to just sprinkle in, which is that uh, when He-Man started doing poorly, like it started crashing uh, as a as a popular toy brand, uh-huh. uh, some of the 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 male um, the, the male designers immediately put the blame on She-Ra, saying that well, obviously what's happening is uh, boys are seeing their sisters saying that they have the power, and so now they think He-Man is girly, and they don't want to play with it anymore. Oh, God. But the actual reason is that they kept producing toys of, like, a skunk villain named Stinkor, who smells, <laughs> and, like, Extendo Man, who extends. Just these fucking lame villains. Right, and they flooded the market with, you know, just really lame character designs, and at a certain point, everyone stopped buying the original He-Man toys, because they already had them, and these weren't, like, universe-expanding characters, they right. were just, like, buzz-off a bee-themed villain. Right. <laughs> um, uh. Right, so I just think that's interesting that now we have a She-Ra show that was developed without an accompanying He-Man show. It's sort of, it stands on its own. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, it in fact was the the rights to create He-Man things, I think, uh, lie elsewhere. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, they don't necessarily have <laughs> the rights to, to the He-Man characters at this time. I heard somebody was working on a He-Man reboot, but I don't know who that was. I thought it, it was DreamWorks, but <laughs> it's possible. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's sort of the the ground floor. Um, and so you know, when when did She-Ra uh, or, originally come out? The this new version, twenty eighteen, twenty eighteen. Yeah, um, and I mean it's been a pretty fast production, like. How the yeah. hell do you get, even if you were doing, like, quarter seasons or half seasons, yeah. how do you get five seasons out in two years? Two years. I mean, the, it's crazy. Um, the the boarding schedule must have been crazy. The, uh, you know, obviously the budget was not huge. Here. No. No. Um, Though I will say... The animation budget is extremely limited. I will say this last season is, like, the best it's ever looked. Yeah, I think that's pretty standard. You know, once you get that final season push, you're like, we have to spend our whole budget. We're not kidding anymore. <laughs> we don't have to show them that we can be frugal anymore. We right, just like, this is it. We everything they give us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, so this last season looks great, but, um, you know, there are definitely a lot of scenes that, you know, clearly could have been... Um, animated that are oftentimes reduced to like still shot montages of like battle poses basically right um but you know you do what you can with what you've got and uh i think they've done some pretty great stuff with I what just they've think got it's a little bit disappointing that a show which i genuinely can't get into like voltron mm. uh, is able to have such a higher animation budget and looks gorgeous right just the characters i find to be 
bland and uninteresting. <laughs> Whereas Shira's characters I find really engaging. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but the animation's a little dirt cheap. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Shira um, as as like a show is often sort of uh, remarked upon as. Um, almost like a spiritual uh, successor to Avatar in in certain ways, um, just in like. I mean, I think a, a lot of shows sort of wouldn't exist if not for Avatar, which oh, we talk about a lot in our. I mean, Avatar I the last Korra. Yes. <laughs> recap yes. series. Um, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> um, I mean, yes, I think Avatar was like a foundational show, um, and especially for a lot of content that's currently. Uh, like Netflix animated original content. Um, but like specifically, I think in the way that it is a children's show, which tackles, um, you know, like dark, intense themes at times um, in, in like a kid friendly, but still kind of mature way. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it, it talks about redemption arcs in the same way that, you know, Avatar also is concerned with redemption arcs, though I, I would argue that She-Ra <laughs> has quite a few more of them uh, than Avatar mm -hmm. ever did. Um, yeah. But, but you know, it, it's got that same kind of... Um, and, and it's got the gang, you know, like the it, the, the gang of of the best, the best friend, friend squad. squad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I it's certainly not a, a an out there premise to have a a small group of protagonists who you focus on, and then a wider group of allies that can come in for an episode or two, and then kind of duck out right uh, for a bit. Um, but that's definitely a big part of the appeal here. Yeah. And then I think, you know, the cast increases in ways that are similar to Avatar as well. You know, like we, we get introduced to all of the princesses in the first season, but, you know, for the first three seasons, they're very in and out. Um, you know, like sometimes they'll be around, sometimes they won't. Uh, but then as we get into seasons four and five, it, it sort of codifies around these group and we get uh, more time devoted to these side characters and their issues and their development. Um, I and mean, at the same time, we can go several episodes without seeing any of them, especially when we're in outer space. <laughs> I don't know. In season five, I feel like they generally cut between the two. Like, you, you didn't not know what was going on in Etheria for more than one episode. Maybe. I don't know. The... The point being, like, they're still very clearly the side Yes, characters. yes, yes, yes. Um, there's never a point where it feels like, you know, Lord of the Rings, and there's, like, all of these different characters moving in tandem, working towards the same goal. They're, they're often in a very subordinate position. Yeah, for sure. And they're um, just more stereotypical and less developed. <laughs> than Lord of the Rings, yes. Um... Yeah, so, David, do you want to dive into the, uh, to the redemption arcs? Should we start talking about sure. it? Sure. Yeah, I was thinking we could start with the very first redemption arc in the show, which is yeah. in the pilot, uh, which is just Adora, uh, our main character, finds a magic sword and decides to become a good guy named yeah. Shira. Yeah, yep. <laughs> 
that's it's that's pretty it. straightforward. But I think it, even that, I think it complicates it slightly, um, because at least in the original cartoon, uh, yes, Adora was the kidnapped twin sister of Prince Eric, also known as He Man. Yeah. Um, and she was hypnotized by Shadow Weaver using magic spells to be a bad guy. And then they break the spell, and then she's a good guy, which is, you know, a pretty basic kid show kind of plot. Yeah. Uh, but here it's really more about her genuine discovery of the bad guys not being so bad and, and her own political indoctrination, less yeah. than magic spells. Right, which I think is a lot more powerful. And, you know, Shadow Weaver still exists and still has magic, but, you know, the the spell, quote-unquote, that she had Adora under is just years of childhood abuse. Right. I mean, that being said, the uh, the evil horde, which is the group that she's a part of, that everyone in the universe calls the evil horde, I mean, it looks pretty evil. You it know, does. Compared to the peaceful towns and whatever. And they clearly have, you know, this military culture that's like... <laughs> You couldn't have figured out that this is a little bit of a of a bad place before. Um, I mean, apparently Catra did. There's a really great line in the pilot where um, Adora's like, Catra, they've been lying to us this whole time. Shadow Weaver, Hordak, everybody. And, and Catra's just like, well, duh. duh. <laughs> how, do you, how are you not aware of that? And I think that kind of speaks to this like sort of trope that like the person who is completely dedicated to the cause mm -hmm. is more likely to switch sides than the person who is sort of cynically you know pretending to buy into the ideology just to gain more power prestige trying to you know beat it from the the inside right like someone who is a true believer can stop believing if presented with enough evidence to the contrary. Right. But if you never the, believed in it to begin with. Right. You'll you'll stick to your guns because you're in it for other reasons. Right. I think it, it kind of reminds me of like uh, Animal Farm. Wasn't there, it was the horse or the donkey or something? It's been a while since I've read it. <laughs> I mean, but, the, the donkey's the like woke one, but is like resigned okay, so to everything. Okay, then. Okay, yeah. But there was, like, a horse who's, like, really buys into everything, and then he ends up in the glue factory. Yeah, it's Boxer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. um. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one goes to the glue factory in uh, She-Ra. Right, no one dies. No one dies. That's not, not true. Some people die. Oh, right. Well, I don't know. It's a weird kind of death. It's still uh, a death. Queen Angela gets trapped in the portal dimension. But I mean, like, the portal dimension gets, like, obliterated. No? Yes? Right. So. I don't know. It's like a weird death where, you know, you kind of don't really get to see it. And it's like somebody had to sacrifice themselves. Yeah. And she decided that it was her. Yeah. So, I don't know. There was a lot of talk about how, like, Catra shouldn't be redeemed because she killed Queen Angela. <laughs> and I'm like, well, kind of. She did a stupid thing and but opened I would, a portal. You could also argue that Glimmer is just as responsible for that. Right. So. Right. I would argue yes. <laughs> 
So I, I don't think I would blame Catra too hard for that. But, I mean, she shouldn't have opened that portal. No. I, I was honestly shocked um, that... Because they take Catra to some places in Season 3 and Season 4 where she she does a lot of things that make it seem like they do not want to redeem her. Um, you know, like they really push her to some committed lows, so to speak. Right. I mean, it, it raises a question uh, for fandoms, I think, which is like, when, when you're doing a redemption arc does it increase the tension and the drama and, like, the debate within the community to just have the person that you're eventually going to redeem and that you've been setting up a redemption arc for just commit as many atrocities as possible? Or is it better to keep them sort of gray and, you know, like, they could switch to good at any moment so that once they do switch, it's more comfortable and it's it's not as awkward? Right. Um, you know, like, we we don't have to do as much work actually forgiving them, necessarily. Right. You know, a um, Kylo Ren situation <laughs> where a lot of people were like, this guy doesn't deserve redemption. Well, also, you know, I think there's it's always the question of earning redemption as well. You know, like, that was a big thing for, mm. for Zuko and Avatar, even though I would say he doesn't commit nearly the atrocities that uh Katra does um well he you know helps an evil empire conquer a city and that's therefore true. an entire country that is, is like true he does do that that he does is... kidnap and uh and threaten to turn into the empire uh several people yeah you're right um, never mind i take it back I take but it I'm back. Just, like Zuko, Zuko, I think is totally deserving of a, of a redemption because it's set up throughout. You know how much he's questioning himself, and most of the things that he does that are bad are kind of like split second decisions that he immediately regrets. Right. Uh, whereas Katra is like pretty determined to kill Adora for a big chunk of the show. Yeah, um, and just really committed to gaining rank and power and influence within the horde um you know right. in in and a sort of any given, way she can right and like when she's given her opportunity to sort of leave the past behind and go live and be queen of the waste mm-hmm. um which is just the coolest episode with the most heartbreaking ending because she just you know she's back on her bullshit uh <laughs> so to speak <laughs> she she uh <laughs> She's, she's just happy being queen of the waste, and Scorpia's there, and she's like, let's just quit the horde, you know? Yeah, let's so just what, stay So what, that here. we're, you know, bound for life to serve uh, in this evil army? Let's just leave. Yeah. But then the temptation to capture Adora and the sword is too great. Yeah. It's so tragic. Like, like, that's the thing about Katra, um, is that every time, like, you really are rooting for her, because she's such a compelling, interesting, fun character to watch, you know? Like, if she was, like, I mean, I think that's at least for, you know, people who are not fans of Kylo Ren from the beginning, like, that's, that's an issue they have with his redemption as well, is that they don't understand 
what the joy of having him be a good guy would be. Whereas I think with people like Zuko or, or Katra, um, their fans very much see the appeal, I guess, um, of, so of watching like, them. Like this character would be boring if they switched to being a good guy versus this character would be really interesting as a good guy. Very complex. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, uh, a something about um, complexity is there for sure, um, but I think that was it, something that uh, that people used to talk about a lot with Digimon too. I recall like the discourse around like the Digimon Emperor oh, becoming yeah. Ken, yeah, and then Ken is just like a guy. Ken. <laughs> He's literally named after a doll, um, not really, but. <laughs> But he just becomes boring because he's not a an, a tortured emperor genius anymore. He's just like right. a guy, right? Who's, um, who's like pretty regretful, <laughs> right? And I I think both Shira and Avatar are able to maintain interesting characters um, past their sort of uh, heel face turn. You know, like Zuko doesn't suddenly become boring and. Uh, unwatchable because he's a good guy now, you know? No, everyone gets an episode to be his friend. Right, exactly. Um, and, and, and they go on fun adventures together. Yeah, and, like, Katra gets, uh, you know, she doesn't get an episode with each person, but she gets, like, a cool spirit cat dog that's her friend now. Right. And... I guess that's supposed to be, like, her... Like, a... a, a representation of her power in the original show where she could actually turn into a cat. Mm. Now she has like a cat spirit companion who can turn her invisible. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I don't know. I dig it. I it's, love it. Make a cool toy. I, I yeah. Well. A toy. Is it <laughs> called Mi Mi Migo or something? Migos. <laughs> Migos. <laughs> um, I do forget exactly what it was called. I watched all of this very fast. Milog. Milog. There we go. I think it, I think Migos is better. <laughs> Just rip off the group. Um, <laughs> anyway. So I think like everybody is pretty much on board with Catra's redemption, despite like the bad bad stuff that she does, because we establish a lot of you know backstory for her that sort of explains you know, a believable psychological reason for all of her actions. Right. And so we just want her to get better. Like, we would want anyone who's recovering from abuse by lashing out at other people, we would want them to get better. We wouldn't want them to just suffer and be punished for lashing out at people. Right. Like, Katra, you know, she and Adora, childhood best friends raised by Shadow Weaver, who basically pitted the two of them against each other, favored Adora, and sort of disparaged Katra. Um, and, you know, so just gave her this, like, horrible complex. Uh, is there a name for that complex? There's gotta be. I just don't know it or can't think of it. Oh, that's how right. I don't know. It's just sort of a Cain and Abel thing. Yeah. Um, very Cain and Abel kind of complex. And then, uh, you know, beyond that is also just like shut down every time she tries to take steps forward. And, you know, she wants to succeed in the only place that's ever given her any kind of home, which is the Horde. And 
you know, views Adora as her only friend. And so when Adora leaves the Horde, she views it as leaving her, um, you know, and, and that yeah, She's is, got abandonment issues. She's got hardcore abandonment issues. Um, yeah, even more so when, when her... <laughs> Her mother figure, Shadow Weaver, also disappears. Yeah. And then her only friend, Scorpia, leaves. Right. Like, and, it's, and, and it's. Trapta it's, betrays her. Right. Because it's she's the, trying to open a bad portal. It's a lot of bad stuff. It's, it's the classic sort of thing where her single mindedness uh, towards her goal and her conflation of, um, you know, basically work relationships with, uh, like, familial or friend relationships, um, it, it, it all just comes together in this horrible, toxic cocktail, so she ends up pushing away the people who try to bring her close because she views them as being at odds with her career goals, basically, and then <laughs> simultaneously... I don't know her- even that. I think it's, I think it's really just, like... Um, she's just rejecting any affection from anybody. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't know expecting them to be loyal to her, and then blaming herself at any time that they just have to step away because they're experiencing too much abuse. I mean, I think the episode where Scorpia leaves, yeah. which is kind of her redemption arc, um, if you can call it that, but it's certainly her heel face turn. It's like just her realizing that Catra is a bad friend, and that's like it's as simple as that. Is that Scorpia has been trying to reach out. And be, uh, you know, affectionate be towards Catra, <laughs> right? But even just friend, and then just being pushed away at every, you know, at every moment, and right. all she wants to do is be a good friend. And then she's like, you know, say what you will about the princesses, like they might be evil, but uh, they uh, they at least are all good friends to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes over there. <laughs> To learn about the power of friendship. Right. Um, and and we, you know, we also discover that Scorpia herself is technically a princess. Um, right. That's true. Um, but I think that's less relevant to her switching over. I mean, she's totally comfortable being a princess who is not on the side of the princesses. Uh, right. But I think it's the sort of thing that um, it gives the the princesses more incentive to try to welcome her. Um, and try to sort of win her over to begin with. Um, yeah. I mean, then... wh- wh- where the show really hooked me, this is this kind of sounds like I'm jumping topics, but I promise I'm not. No, I'm, the, I'm into it. The, the episode where the show hooked me and, like, maybe think, okay, this is something special, was Princess Prom. <laughs> um, which, I mean, it complicates every relationship in the show yeah. and, uh, and like, topples the status quo. And it also is just done in such a distinctly queer way. Yeah, it's um, a very queer prom. That it sort of... That it, <laughs> that it just sort of makes me, like, excited to see other shows follow in its footsteps. Um, I hope. Um, I just want more proms. But the, the point is that, like, Scorpio's relationship to the prom is like, oh, yeah, I'm a princess. I just don't, like, broadcast it to anybody because I'm not, like, traditionally princess-looking. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. she is a giant human scorpion with uh, <laughs> a gruff sort of voice and uh, a big, strong jaw. Yeah, um, and a lot of muscles. And a lot of muscles. Um, 
but you know she's given an opportunity at the prom to wear a you know traditionally feminine dress and to go dancing and to eat hors d'oeuvres yeah and she just totally like brightens up that space while at the same time Catra shows up wearing a tux um, <laughs> and just is aggressively uh, negging and uh, and and playing I don't know what, what would cat you call and mouse? it. Uh, Playing cat and mouse, but yeah, with uh, with Adora. <laughs> with Adora. I mean, it just works, and I think that the fact that it's like you know, it's something as silly as like a prom or a, a dance that you're allowed to, you're allowed to flirt even though you're literally on two opposite sides of a war. Right. Um, sort of neutral it's, it's ground. The kind of thing that can only happen for the most part in cartoons like this. Right. But it's right. really. It's really genuinely a lot of fun, and I think the the queering of the the you know two dates to the prom trope, yes. and the queering of you know <laughs> all of these tropes uh, is is really evident in that episode. Right. Plus, trying to win the approval of like a snotty ten year old who is trying to <laughs> be way more mature right. than she is. Right, that's supposed to be like the A plot, but it definitely fades into the background as it just becomes about flirting with your with your with ex. your hot ex who right. wants to murder you. <laughs> that's like half the show is just Katra right. and Adora flirting. Um, yeah, I think, I think to to round out like Scorpia's redemption arc, yes. I think it's most similar in Avatar to uh, Ty Lee's redemption. Yeah, Ty Lee and May, I would say both of them. Right. Well, May is, like, abandoning the evil empire for your rebel boyfriend. Okay. Um, whereas Ty Lee is like, you're a bad friend, <laughs> yeah, so I am true. choosing to rebel against you in search of better friendship. Friends. yeah. More supportive of my energy. Yeah. Um... Which is exactly what Scorpia does, and it works yeah. out pretty well for her. So I don't think anybody had a problem with that redemption. It was almost, we were just waiting for Scorpia to realize totally. that she was on the wrong side. Yeah. I think, like, an, an interesting flip side to Scorpia, though, is Entrapta, who has both a face yes. heel turn and heel, uh, yeah, right. both face heel and turns and heel face turns. Yeah, that, and that was the only one, which, uh, I, oh, man... It's really good. It's really well handled. Yeah. That she just is not particularly interested in Ethics. the goals that her friends have. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not even that. Because, I mean, it's not like she doesn't have ethics. She doesn't want to destroy right. the world. But she just is more curious about science than anybody in the princess side. Right. Um, and so she just wants to collect more data. <laughs> Yeah, that's just she always... She goes where the data is. She she is, like, the pure distillation of, uh, like, asexual mad scientist who's just, Oh, like, yeah, that too. Asexual it, mad scientist. In it for the science, you know? In it for the um, science. But also, I think, chaotic neutral. I mean, like, yes. precisely that. She does not care. Yeah. Um, yeah. About, about factions and sides. Right. She's all about... Going where the going where the fun is. Well, in the pursuit of knowledge and where she's able to obtain mm -hmm. the most knowledge and do the best, most accurate uh, science and and experiments. Uh, so, I, right. what season is it? Is it season two or three that she 
ends up in the horde. I think season three. Um, season season two is is when she gets abandoned there. Okay, it uh, is. Okay, they, they they fly in. Uh, they do to a get mission out, um, to get Glimmer out of there. Yeah, but then Entrapta wanders oops, off. Entrapta wanders off uh, to save Emily, her amazing bot, um, <laughs> and uh, it looks like she gets incinerated. But she kind of hides in a vent and doesn't. But then yeah. her friends leave because, because they, they think, think she's, she's dead. dead. But she doesn't know which, that. Which is yeah, which is the main thing that like Catra uses to sort of convince Entrapta that her friends don't really like her and that she'd be better off with weirdos and and you know other miscellaneous freaks. Right, who... like basically Catra projects her own insecurities and fears onto Entrapta to convince her to join the horde, basically. Right. But at the same time, I I think, you know, that kind of probably would be how it would have been done if they had done the same plot in, like, the 80s cartoon, is to just ever be like, my friends abandoned me, I'll never forgive them for that. Right, but... But it's not that. It's not that, yeah. It's, it's like, a sadder version of that. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's just the sort of thing where, well, because when we first meet Entrapta, you know, she's, like, accidentally terrified her entire, like, house staff into, like, hiding in the kitchen because she's got all these crazy, mm-hmm. like, robots and shit all over the place. Um, and so, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's it's established already that, like, she is sometimes, like, a difficult person to love and to uh associate with and like i think she knows that you know let's address the elephant in the room i mean by word of god uh noelle has said that uh she's supposed to be on the spectrum that that's intentional characterization of her which is in some ways i think we might when we're revisiting this see it as a little bit problematic the idea that we're first of all associating antisocial behavior with uh with neuroatypicality mm. um and that we're associating like that she can't like read uh she can't understand like her friends and so that leads her to doing genuine evil things <laughs> right <laughs> um, right which is a little bit iffy um and she's also played very cartoony yes uh, it is a cartoon of yes. course but you know i'm hoping that people who are on the spectrum, young kids, young girls, will see her and find something relatable. And right, and, 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 and I think that's why it's important that she doesn't, you know, necessarily just, like, stay with the Horde the whole way. You know, like, in season four, right. when she discovers that what she's building is, you know, basically a doomsday weapon and that it's going right. to rip the universe apart... She's like, listen, I'd love to go to space as much as the next person, but I don't want everything to end because of that. Like, maybe let's not do this. You know, like, like she right. she knows. The data wh- says. Right, she the knows data where says to. Says we should. Where to draw the line? Like, what what is enough? Right, um, and of course, eventually she does completely turn back to the good side. But it's right. just like constantly the 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 thread the thread of her arc is that her friends have trouble dealing with the fact that she doesn't, you know, take orders well. She can't stay focused. Mm-hmm. She has she, she has trouble communicating. These are all kind of problems that people may internalize uh, yeah. if they have those struggles in real life. Um, but Entrapta kind of doesn't and just sort of 
goes wherever the the data is, and the data says that she and Katra are friends, which is <laughs> right. a good line. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and she is also sort of responsible for Hordax. Um, redemption arc. Right. This was probably <laughs> the sloppiest handled. Yeah. One. Do you want to come back to this one or do you want to do it now? No, let's do it. Okay. So. I mean, is there anyone else that we're missing as far as redemption arcs go? I guess Shadow Weaver. Shadow Weaver. All right, yeah. let's talk about Shadow Weaver really fast. Okay, so maybe this one is the sloppiest one. I, one of these two, yeah. these are both very sloppily done because. Shadow Weaver, of course, is... Her role in the first part of the story is to be an abusive authority figure. Not necessarily a mother figure. I think I was a little too flippant with that. But she's, like, the boss. And she... No, it's it's definitely supposed to be, like... It, it it's easily read as abusive mother figure. You know? Like, like I think that's I, certainly I think it's easy to it. read it that way, yeah. Um, but the point is, she's... Her job is to gaslight Adora and to uh, verbally and physically abuse Katra repeatedly um, so that one of them turns evil and one of them realizes that she's evil. Um, But then in uh, in one episode, she's betrayed by Katra because she's always been holding Katra down. Katra finally, you know, goes over her head to Hordak and now... Shadow Weaver's in jail for disobeying <laughs> Hordak's orders. Yeah. And not killing Adora. And then, right. And then it's one of, like, the most interesting scenes, because we're we're learning about her backstory, where she used to be a good guy uh, living in the, the spellcaster town. Yeah. And we um, find out she trained she, Glimmer's dad. Right. Which is irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really come back in any significant way. <laughs> um... But she's like, her flaw is that she sought too much power and it was too much for her. And she ended up be, becoming like a parasite who's dependent on power. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wanted originally to use that power to stop the horde. But I guess immediately once she becomes addicted to it, it's almost like a drug. And she just ends up going to the horde because they have the black garnet, which she uses as her thing that keeps her alive. Yeah. Um, until <laughs> she decides, okay, well, I'm no longer, I no longer have access to the Black Garnet, so better switch back to the good side. Peace. I'm sure they'll accept me. <laughs> right. And, and it's, it's like a really touching scene before she leaves, right? Like with her scene with Katra in the, in the jail. Yes. Yes. Where Katra is sort of trying to desperately to connect with Shadow Weaver and, you know, Shadow Weaver basically manipulates right. Katra because she knows how to from years of practice into giving her the opportunity she needs to escape um, so Katra, who again is just like desperately reaching out for anyone in like any way she knows how, finds herself again suddenly abandoned and betrayed by this maternal figure in her life, um, and it really just like crushes her. Right. I mean, it's like she's she's talking all about how she didn't she wasn't born with power the way that Adora was like Adora's the natural yeah and so you know they Chad Weaver never coddled her or, or or did coddle her I guess because 
she knew that she was destined for greatness, but she always respected Catra more, or mm-hmm. at least she says that she did, because Catra's more like myself. You had to scrounge for power. Yeah, you know, claw kind of your way to the top. Right. Um, so that's why she pushed her harder or something. Which is just like right, classic like, abuse apologize <laughs> apologism. Right. And I don't think that she's I don't think that we're supposed to see that as like uh, a good thing that she did, but it's just no. supposed to make us understand a little bit better. Yeah, like, yeah. Why has she never given Catra the credit she deserves for the work that she does? Right. And then, so, you know, Shadow Weaver defects to the good guys and sort of shows up on their doorstep with, like, knowledge of what Hordak is kind of planning. And at first everyone's like, don't trust Shadow Weaver. She's she's evil. She's lying. She doesn't have our interests at heart. Um, Which, you know, is, like, kind of true. But the information that she does bring is valid and so it, it complicates well, like from that point on she kind that. of just becomes like a, a a plot device almost because she has this knowledge of magic and etheria that no one else has mm-hmm. um especially once angela is gone right um so, so it's like she is just seeking power. That is the only thing that she cares about for the most part. Right. But she's um, willing to help a couple of other people along the way if it gets her, again, more power. Right. But I'm just, I guess I'm kind of surprised that she didn't ever betray them back and go back to the Horde when the Horde was was winning so much the next yeah. time. Yeah. I um, mean, it's it's. I think it's the idea that she wouldn't actually have control because, you know, you're either going to get chipped in Hordax army or you're gonna die it seemed like kind of right. the two are options for anyone with any significant or amount maybe of power. she really has formed some kind of attachment to katra and adora i don't know and they're going to die if if she doesn't stop the horde i don't know yeah um but yeah so she she stays on on the side of uh, the good guys. However, she continues to push both Katra and Adora towards um, kind of self-destructive ends and, and sort of falls back into the same patterns that she had with the two of them in the Horde in the first season um, with the two of them on the side of the princesses in this final season. Right. I mean, when we're getting right up to the ending, her goal is to destroy this super weapon by giving all the power to Adora, who she trusts, and then she's constantly putting down Katra, who she keeps calling a distraction, which right. is like the gay energies will be <laughs> will count, counteract the <laughs> plot energies, and they will destroy you. Um, you know, the sexual tension in the right. air is distracting you, Adora. Right. Um, like, Aang, you have to put <laughs> Katara aside in order to beat the Fire Lord. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but in the end, when there's this choice between, like, going back and saving Katra or pushing forward with Adora, um, Adora decides to go back for Katra, and so Shadow Weaver decides, all right, well... I'm never going to, you know, Adora's never going to let Catra go, so I'm going to save Catra in a big heroic sacrifice and explode a big bug. Right. Um, and sort of defeat the imminent threat that was going to potentially keep either of them from reaching the the right. center of Etheria, the heart of Etheria, to free the right. magic. And she says, 
she basically says, like, I'm sorry, but also you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. They're also like she literally very... says, you're welcome when she explodes. <laughs> They're also very sad when she dies, which, like, I get, but also, yeah. dude, this lady sucked. I she did suck. Um, so, like, did she deserve the heroic death? I don't know. This is a trope that I always, like, have a problem with because it's too much of an easy out, you yeah. know? It's like, are we supposed to feel like this was a full redemption? Maybe the point is that we're not supposed to think of it as a full redemption, that we're just supposed to think of it as a the, sacrifice. Right, and the only way of to... a person who was very troubled and problematic. Right, and the only way that they can be considered ho- heroic is through a noble death. Right, but maybe we're not even supposed to see them as fully heroic or fully evil, but just as a person who never really, uh, never really made up for their mistakes or their faults. Right. I mean... But who at least did something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the, the heroic sacrifice is... Uh, it's definitely a trope that is used quite a bit um, in in popular right. media. But, uh, I, I, I mean, I would definitely agree that sometimes it works better than other times. Um, I mean, here I mean, it I was fine. I usually think that it's better to... It's always more interesting to see, like, after the person does something heroic, if they've been bad their entire life, like, right. how do they live after that? Right. You know, I always just find that more interesting. Like, you know, what if they face face up for their crimes and go to prison and then, you know, try and try and be a better person over time? Right. You know, it's like... It's the difference between Spider-Man 2... And Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, Dr. Octopus gets crushed by the sun and drowns <laughs> trying to put out the sun in the river. Right. Uh, and so we never learn if he will ever, you know, make up for the bad things that he's done. Right. He's just a crazy person <laughs> with a robot that made him try to kill people. Right. Whatever. But, you know, the vulture, he goes to jail. He's serving his time for his crimes. You know, he wants to see his family again, and he doesn't give Spider-Man's identity up right. to the bad guys. So, is he redeemed? No, but he's trying to be better every day and make up for what he's done. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. It's I think it's, it's often an easy out for writers who want to... Yeah, who, who want to, you know redeem or at least halfway redeem a character um without doing like the hard work of making them actually work for that redemption um you know the way (laughs) catra sort of has to do um did we i don't think we finished up catra's redemption arc from forever ago that's the point because (laughs) at a certain point you think okay she's climbed up as far as she can go she's basically like surpassed hordak so, like, what is she going to do now? But then a, a series of plot contrivances make it so that, okay, now now the planet uh, Etheria is being attacked by a massive horde army, and you're like, okay, well, now she's got to switch to the good side, I'm sure. But she doesn't still. Yeah. Um, because she, cause she and Glimmer... with Horde Prime. Yeah, she and Glimmer get teleported into uh, Horde Prime's ship once they bring Etheria out of the, like, bubble dimension that it's apparently been in this entire time. Right. Uh, and, and if you don't know who Horde Prime is, think the Borg. It's just the <laughs> yeah. Borg. And it's... Horde Prime is the Borg queen. 
It's definitely the Borg. Um, but so, uh, you know, <laughs> she and Glimmer are there, and we think, okay, great, they're gonna team up right away and have to work together to save Etheria and what have you. But then, no, beginning of season five, we see that, uh, Glimmer is a prisoner, and Katra is still just serving the <laughs> serving Hordak, serving her Horde Prime. Horde Prime. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, the the uh, the final thing that that turns her, I guess, is just the the knowledge that she'll never get to see Adora again, and the remembering that she would just like to do one good thing in her entire life so she sacrifices herself. <laughs> yeah, well Glimmer Glimmer says the the line to her first is like help me and do one good thing in your life. Uh and Catch was like screw you man, which like fair. I would respond similarly if someone said do one good thing in your life. Like you don't know right, me. But also she hasn't done one good thing in her life. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so she saves Glimmer not to save Glimmer, but to save Adora. Right. Because she knows that, of course, the only reason Adora is coming to, to, you know, break into this ship is to save Glimmer, not to save her. Because right. Adora doesn't care about her. Which, but at that moment, she kind of didn't as much. Not as much. Yeah. But she probably would still go to save her, I think, even if she didn't do one good thing. <laughs> I don't know, because in season four, she's like, we're we're done, Katra. Like, I'm not pulling punches against you anymore. You know, like, she, she draws a line in the sand. But I think the fact that Katra does save Glimmer reignites, um, you know, <laughs> Adora's love for her. Oh. Hope, yeah, that Katra can be redeemed, that she does have something inside of her that tells her what is right and wrong. Yeah. Um, and so they go uh, and they save yeah, Katra. I, mean, I think that's a, a decent explanation of those events. I just, I think, like, I don't think that Adora ever really gave up on Katra. I think that was sort of a, a key theme here, is that even when she says, like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to suffer just because you keep making stupid mistakes, like, that doesn't mean that she wouldn't accept her back if she shows that she wants to be accepted back. Right, right. Um, but yeah, and, and so, you know, Glimmer also ends season four making sort of the terrible decision to basically team up with Katra to open this portal. Um, right. And... Uh, so, you know, the two of them kind of fucked up together a little bit. And so Glimmer right. sort of has so, to yeah. redeem herself in, in Bo's eyes and to Adora, because she says some pretty mean and bad stuff to the two of them. <laughs> uh, but she does. And, you know, the, the sort of uh, concession, or not concession, the... the uh, Oof, what's the word? Resolution. Not resolution. I don't I'll figure it out. Bowen and uh, Glimmer reconcile. There we go. The reconciliation yeah. between the two of them comes where, you know, basically Bo is really mad at Glimmer, but he keeps saving her life. And so she's like, okay, I know you still don't want me to die. <laughs> so I, I trust that, you know, 
you, you, you're not so mad at me. However, I understand if we're never going to be like as close as we once were, but just know that I still right. value our friendship and I'm going to keep trying. But and their final ship anyway, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like they'll, they'll reconcile eventually yeah. fully, but just not within the context of this show, but they're, they're, but final I mean, ship, even so. by the, by the end of the show, they're giving each other forehead kisses and being cute and what have you. Right. Well, I thought that was in the fantasy sequence. No, no, no. No, and at the very end when they defeat Horde Prime okay. and shit, there's some forehead kisses. And they 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 do the forehead kiss. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. And then um, also, I don't think we talked about Light Hope. Yes. <laughs> the spirit okay. guide, who's a computer, has a <laughs> mini redemption because she, you know it's like about her accepting her own free will because she was programmed by the first ones to destroy the world and the entire universe. But um, because Adora reminds her that Mara saw her as human, she remembers her humanity and helps Adora to not destroy the universe. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and, and she also gets a, a little gay romance with the, the previous She-Ra named Mara. Um, the right. two of them. I don't know if I would call it a romance. I mean, but they definitely there's have a, a friendship and a partnership. There's some hardcore blushing, man. Like the <laughs> the computer blushes. I don't. If I think if you can make a computer blush, then like it's romance. Right. <laughs> um. All right. So does okay. that bring us to Hordak then? I th I think that's that sort of wraps everything up oh um, we can talk about I, I guess, wrong you know, hordak first if you want all right wrong hordak i don't know what that is <laughs> like they just sort of grab a guy and electrocute him and then suddenly he's like not brainwashed anymore well he's disconnected from the he, hive mind right but, but so still then he still wants to be brainwashed so they're like you can be brainwashed for us and yeah. he's like okay <laughs> And I don't know exactly what makes him realize that all of the horde is evil, but he does. And well, then he, he realizes wears an apron that says "kiss the cook" on it uh, he, in he, first one's language. He realizes that uh, um, Horde Prime lied about a planet that shouldn't exist anymore. That's the one where they find Catra's mm, little Nilog. Right. It's a little weak. Yeah. But whatever, you know, kids show. I'll accept it. Yeah. Um, and so that's his awakening in a similar way to Adora's, you know, where she's like, the Horde was lying to us. The princesses aren't these terrible people. And right. we're he the was a baddies. full believer. And so he's, he's more likely to switch sides because the belief is based on a lie. Yeah. Um, um I, I don't think we really put a button on, on Catra's redemption because it's really summed up by not just her doing one good thing, but that she thinks she's sacrificing herself. And it's not that she's redeemed then, right? It's that she's redeemed when she recognizes that she's not a lost cause because Adora comes to save her, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's also part of it. Um, Cause she got, she gets brainwashed. She gets borged. And gets a haircut with the board. Yes. Yes. Um, but her love for like, Adora sort of like, like that's something we see a couple of times for the people who get chipped, uh, you know, get the, the horde chip placed on their necks. Um, is that their, it's their like love, right. Their love for their friends or their partners, um, you know, 
often will at least temporarily break the the control that it has over them. Right, which is why it's weak that, for some reason, Scorpia gets paired up with Bo in that final confrontation. Because <laughs> uh, they have almost no relationship whatsoever. Yeah. Frustrating, but whatever. Um, I mean, Bo needed to do something, and they had Scorpia. Right, but, I mean, he could fight anybody, you know. He can't fight Mermista. She'd fucking wreck him. Okay, I don't know. Just somebody else. Because, uh, you know, Glimmer fights her dad. And, right. You know, like, that's something. Yeah. This is nothing. <laughs> Poor Glimmer. Seeing her dad for the first right. time in, like, ten years. <laughs> and he's a zombie right. trying to kill her. Right. So, I mean, I think Catra's, like... It's 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 a, I think it's a complicated sort of situation where she's she's redeemed in that she's done her one good thing and done her heroic sacrifice like Shadow Weaver, but she gets to also not die. Yeah. And then that requires a more complicated reckoning with her past as she's slowly incorporated into the group. But even when she's brought onto the group, there's it's still like just drop me off at the nearest planet. Like get me off of this thing. I can't do friendship right now right um and so she still has a lot of growing to do even after her redemption quote unquote right right and you know she is still susceptible to shadow weaver who you know when she's telling adora that like catch a distraction you must rid yourself of um you know she's like well you're just gonna listen to shadow weaver again so why bother sticking around and she sort of runs off um before the right before the climax um and she's right. she, you know she's also mad at adora that adora is trying to do the noble sacrifice thing catra's great catra right, is great. great character it's great when she you know realizes that you know shadow weaver left specifically to go to adora right and that when adora gets captured she comes back and she's like associates those things and is like so you would leave me, and then you would come back for Adora? Right. That's, that's ridiculous. Come on. <laughs> this is just rubbing it in. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She's a great character. and It's great that she gets a happy ending and a big gay kiss. Yeah. And uh, she does the whole, like, reaching your hand through a, a metaphysical door right. to save someone's soul, like, in... Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, where he, like, punches <laughs> through the gate. I just really felt yeah. a connection between those two scenes yeah. uh, in that moment. That's great. And their big gay kiss saves the world, because it, it allows Adora to focus, because the sexual tension has been broken. Yeah, it's been resolved. <laughs> so and she can so... concentrate on saving the world. <laughs> <laughs> so all the magic can uh, get splurted out and uh, right. turn the giant spaceship into a giant tree spaceship. Right. But um, Hordak is just the big, goofy villain of the original show. He was a kind of vampire robot man who could turn into a spaceship um, <laughs> at will. No no turning into spaceships in this one. Um, right. And he like knew a guy named Horde Prime, but it was like his brother from outer space, and he was just like a green mist that would some sometimes have a robot hand reaching out of it. Mm, weird. Uh, yeah, in this one, 
you know, this this He's Hordak. A misshapen clone of an evil army. Yeah, so he gets he gets thrown thrown out of the army and ends up in this pocket dimension accidentally, cut off from the hive mind, and instead of just being sad about it like uh, wrong Hordak. He is like, well, I'll conquer this world for the horde anyway, and find a way right. back. And then my brother will accept me again. Right, um, which you know. So then he basically does everything that he sets out to do. He teleports the world back into, you know, horde regular zone. space. And then, uh, and and then you know, provides this super weapon to his big brother, but then. Uh, it's because he's like a clone in a hive mind thing. He can be kind of reabsorbed. He gets like rebrainwashed or whatever. Well, he gets well. He gets completely remade because he no longer has those flaws. His weird like arm holes. Mm. He was born with arm holes and with blue discoloration in his hair and his skin. And like vitiligo. Um. Yeah. Uh. But like he. When he gets his new body, he's perfect again, you know, like everything. But his, like, memories are, like, semi-wiped, and he's part of the hive mind again. But then he breaks out of that when he sees Entrapta, who gives him a magic crystal that symbolizes their friendship. Yeah, because they loved each other. Right. Because Entrapta was the one who said, your imperfections are beautiful. Yeah. Which was a weird scene, because at that point, there wasn't a bigger villain established. Right. So you're so just you straight just up taking this. You're just like taking the the big bad and just like starting to redeem him and make him, uh, you know, to, to humanize him a little bit, uh, and you know, especially doing it with this character who, you know, we all generally kind of like, uh, even though she has kind of defected to the horde, she's still very likable right. in Trapta. Um, and so I think it forced us to sort of go like, okay, maybe the Fire Lord isn't so bad, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, which which I mean, is he's not... Basically just, he's basically just taking over the world. There's no particular evil ideology associated with it. He's not like a racist. Right. He's just doing it because that's <laughs> what he was built to do. Right. So, I mean, the idea would be if he just stopped doing that, he would be generally a good person. Right. But I don't know. It's like you can't really be the leader of a massive army of brainwashed stormtroopers and like a genuinely decent guy at the same time. You know, it's the reason that Darth Vader has to die. He has to have the heroic sacrifice. He can't sort of just live on after that and be like, hey, guys, it's me, Darth Vader. I'm good now. Well, but I mean, people make that same argument with Catra, you know? Right, but I mean, again, it's like, I don't know, Catra's motivations are a little bit more believable, and she has shown more signs of wanting to do good in the past, whereas there's no conflict in uh, in Hordak. He's just a guy trying to destroy the world, you know, trying to take over the world and not questioning it at all. And then suddenly he's like, well, I guess there's no reason to do it anymore because my brother, my brother is dead. And And was a huge dick. And was a huge dick. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of a weak thing. And so they lampshade it where it's like he is redeemed and he's freed from the 
the the hive mind and returns his memories of like I remember you Adora I saved you as a baby uh, from a portal uh, and so then Entrapta hugs him and Remus is just like wait so are we just okay with this now is everybody just cool about this yeah well I mean it's also weird because he regains his memories. But then, and and sort of like pushes Horde Prime's body off of like a tower. Uh, uh-huh. But then Horde Prime just like takes over Hordak, and so then Hordak is Horde Prime for like the last like right. But two then that's banished from his soul right. by the power of magic and love yeah. and etc. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just like, are we okay with it? Is my question. I mean, I think. We have to be, like, For you consistency? Know. Yeah, and, well, and I mean, we, it's, the show ends at that point, you know, so we don't get to see what Hordak does, does He to, doesn't, he might go to jail, we don't know. Right, he might go to jail, or he might have to spend his entire life, you know, doing good deeds for all of the people who he's hurt, like, it, right. it it's... It's the question of do people deserve redemption um, and does that redemption have to come from the people who they hurt or can it come from people outside of that group? Right. And but the show just isn't really concerned with that. It basically is saying, listen, like no one is completely no one is completely unable to achieve some kind of redeeming goodness. Like, no one should ever be given up upon just because they were on the bad side. Right. It's the idea that having one good friend or, you know, opening your heart to love will help you to heal and be a better person and abandon your evil ways. But because of the way that, like, you know, our, our society has changed so much recently, I think a lot of fans are becoming a little bit oppositional to that idea like okay so does that imply that like the the people who do bad things to us in our lives need to be forgiven you know does that imply that we need to show empathy to people who actually traumatize us and scar us uh, the way that these people have been scarred I mean, it's that's that's the real question, man. Um, and I agree. I don't know if the show fully answers it, but I think it certainly asks those questions of us, and you know, gives us food for thought moving forward in the world. Which you know, I think that's what good fiction does. It doesn't necessarily solve all of the problems of the world, but it prompts us to think about them and maybe think about right. them more deeply than we might have. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. I uh, couldn't have said it better. Do, do you want to just uh, end with a quick trope rundown uh, of some of our favorite tropes in uh, in in this series? And sure. And we'll call it a day? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, um, I'll go first. Yeah. So, on TV Tropes, there's a trope called Cast Full of Gay. Yeah. And I don't think any... <laughs> I don't think anything could sum up this show better than yeah. Cast Full of Gay. You have a an actual married couple, you have tons of implied gay characters and word of God gay characters, mm-hmm. and Noel famously said uh, that the, these uh, characters should be assumed 
uh, assumed gay before they're assumed straight. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, yeah, so many gay married couples, uh, there's at least two, which feels right. like a Those ton. dads and, uh, Spinnerella and Natasa and... Yeah. I'm sure there's others. Uh, apparently, uh, the three minor bad guy squad, uh, Rogelio, Kyle, and Lonnie are, by word of God, in a polycule. Yeah. Um... I love it. I'm for it. Whatever. <laughs> you know, OT3. I don't think it counts as queer baiting. Yeah, I don't think it counts as queer baiting if every character is canonically gay. <laughs> right, exactly. So, I, I mean, that's the, that's the thing is that, you know, if someone wanted to not see the gay in certain aspects of the show, it's possible. I don't think they could. I, no, I think you, you really would be hard pressed. You you would really have to squint and be in a lot of denial, but uh, you know, and and I think that's that's the joy of this show is is just how unapologetically queer the whole thing I think is. You could squint for the first couple seasons, but the last episode has uh, no, Spinnerella and Natasha kissing and Katra and Adora kissing. Right? No, I'm saying by the saying last episode, and, yeah, by know, the last episode, no impossible. way. But there's you know. Friendship is often used as a euphemism for love. Um, right. And, you know... That's true. It's it's the sort of thing that, that people who tend to deny queer relationships or queer readings of relationships likes to point to as, like, a defense against it. Like, oh, they said friend! You're not friends with that person. That's friend zone. Like, that's not gay. Yeah. And it's like, right. shut up. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so so again it's um, possible but it would be a deliberate misreading for sure right uh similar along those lines i think there's a trope called equal opportunity evil where the evil group is not homogenous sure certainly the horde clones are all pretty homogenous but the original horde is as diverse as anything i mean it's mostly women it's women of all different races and uh, species, animal hybrid species. Yeah, uh, scorpions and cats and lizards. Uh, much more <laughs> diverse even than the princesses, who are mostly uh, human women. Mostly human women. Uh, majority Caucasian, but you know, obviously some uh, majority other... Caucasian. Mm, I think so, by a slight by a slight margin, but uh, well. Because Natasha right, be is, is is black, right? Yeah. And then yeah. uh, Bo, and... but he, I mean, we don't even have to count him as a princess. Um, <laughs> uh, Mermista is, like, certainly South Asian or some person of color. Um, All right. Like, maybe, maybe, Frosta, maybe I just miscounted. But Frosta, the point is, yeah, uh, they're, it's, they're, they're all human women for the most part. Yes, yeah, they're all Mermista, human. I guess. I mean, a mermaid. but only sometimes, <laughs> but only sometimes. Um, but yeah, I just think I, I love it when the, uh, the bad guys are like a group of misfits. Um, yeah. cause we like them for that. That's right. Great. It's there, there is entertaining to watch as the heroes. And I think that's important, especially in a kid show, um, for the, for the villains to be entertaining in that way. Yeah. 
Um, was there anything else on your list that you you loved? Oh, I, I wanted to give. I wanted. I wanted to see if you wanted to do some, and then I would do some more. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you covered a, a lot of mine. Um, you know, I, I I like that this is a show that really explores um, like a bunch of different themes, and like, yeah, they're. There are themes that are generally common to kids' shows, and, and I think we've touched on a lot of them already. Um, but, you know, like, I, I, I especially like um, how the show tackles uh, abuse narratives and talks about mm-hmm. not only abusive um, parental relationships, but abusive friendships. Abusive friendships. And, um, yeah. Because I think that especially is not something that is either talked about a lot in children's media, or if it is, it's handled usually pretty poorly. Um, so right. it's it's great to see a show that, that is tackling that in a way that feels um, pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think, like, this being a world of action girls, uh, mm. you know, I think TV tropes would define would define it that way, yeah. um, which there aren't actually that much of. I mean, like, you know, My Little Pony, I guess, had a lot of female action-y characters, but even then, they were mostly going on just friendship adventures like baking cakes. Right. Uh, Steven Universe has a lot of, you know, an entire planet of female warriors, <laughs> Winx Club, which <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's like you start really stretching it, uh, but but like you know, which isn't is even like, like world of action girls. Just a lot of action girls. Yeah, the heroes and the villains, right? So. Yeah. But in this world, it's like literally everyone is is a girl, and everyone is a an action girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, they can't even even wander into the desert without finding more hot action girls. More action girls. Yeah. And even if you're not an action girl, you're probably the trope, one of the girls. Right. Uh, where, you know, Bo is the only man in a, in, in Bright Moon, a city of all princesses, which (laughs) kind of makes you wonder like what their line of succession is, uh, if they are actually princesses, (laughs) but, uh, you know, whatever, you know, I mean, they're princesses. Bo is one of the girls. He can go to sleepovers with them. He yeah. can do whatever. There's no questioning of his, you know... Belonging. Of whether he fits in with these girls. Yeah. 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 There's never a moment where he's like, I gotta go. I mean, there's an episode about a boy's night out. Yeah, but the boy's never night a out is where great. He's like, I gotta go, you know, punch something to affirm my masculinity. He's totally fine not having his masculinity affirmed. Right, and I think there are honestly very few characters uh, who are men who are concerned at all about their masculinity. You know, like, I would say Hordak, Horde Prime, maybe, but then it's more like masculinity. but they're more aliens than they are men. Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, really, all that you're left with is, like, Kyle, who is and uh, Rogelio. a total twink, and <laughs> Rogelio, who is a top, and uh, that's it. Those are uh, Seahawk, Seahawk, who, who is a sub. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you don't think you know, if you don't think that Mermist is a top, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, just thinking of terrible fan art. Um, 
Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is also one where, you know, like, the heroes certainly earn their happy ending. It's not just, like, handed to them. There's, there's plenty right. of, uh, uh, Surus <laughs> that goes on. Surus. <laughs> Look it up. It's Yiddish. to English Dictionary. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Lots there's... of gorgeous transformation sequences in this show. Yes, very good magical girl transformations. Uh, yeah. They're, um, they're pretty good. I mean, that was in the original, too, but, I mean, there's just something kind of lame about the 80s American attempts at, at transformation sequences. I know, the 90s magical girl series from Japan just, like, outclassed them a million to one. Right, but now we've got we've gotten better. We're, we we're have. catching up. We have. We figured it out. Enough of us have watched anime. <laughs> All right. Uh, and that was that was my last trope that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Do you have any more? Um, I don't think so. I I think you know like there's a lot that we covered a lot that goes in, on in here. We covered a lot. Um, it's it's a great show. Uh, that hopefully you have watched before you've listened to this. Um, right. <laughs> otherwise, we've really just like spoiled a ton for you. Uh, but but I think even right. if we have, the show is still worth a watch and still we'll highly enjoyable. Um, I I don't think that knowing what's yeah. gonna I mean, happen. It's a kids show. It doesn't feel like it's not a kids show. It feels like. Right. I mean, I don't know what the reception has been among young girls, but I feel like, you know young people would get into this show. Yes. That's what I feel. Yes, it is um, the perfect tween show. You know, it's for those right. late elementary school to early high school. Like, it, it's going to grab that demographic for sure. Right. And, like, I think it, it's trying to accomplish the same thing that, like, the My Little Pony reboot did, where it's taking something, like, for really young kids and sort of scaling it up so that people of all ages could find something to enjoy in it. Right. And I think that this has accomplished that, even if it hasn't been picked up as much by the weird internet men community. Um, <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> can we, can we give like a thank God for that? I, I don't know. I don't, I've, I'm, I, I don't have a problem with bronies as a, as a group, but there are certainly some bad apples. I, there. I mean, we don't have time to debate bronies now at the All end right, of this maybe podcast. Uh, maybe maybe we'll do a, a mini or a, a series recap on My Little Pony at some a, point. A, right. Bronies, a retrospective. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but thank you for tuning in. You guys are uh, great. Please tweet at us at Talking Trope or comment wherever you find this uh, podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to know if there's anything you want us to watch and are interested in hearing our thoughts on. Um, anything else from you, David? That's it for me. Uh, I'll just have to say what I said last time. Uh, bye, Adora. <laughs> bye. <laughs>